0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Strategy Cast. My name is Dale O'Donnell, and this show um, I'm going to speak to Mike about the 1977 FA Cup Final between Manchester United and Liverpool. Uh, before we get into the game itself, I'm going to look at some relevant news and mention it to keep you updated in that front. And um, Timo Werner, Mike, is RB Leipzig's leading striker, goal scorer at the moment. He's attracting a lot of interest from Chelsea. From Liverpool uh, and from United Christian folk a German reporter is saying that none of these clubs are willing to pay his buyout clause which is 50 million euros now I think prior to the coronavirus pandemic and previous transfer windows if you get a striker like proven with proven record like that for 50 million euros you take it but clubs are obviously not in a position to spend that money anymore and it it, could become a very clear with reports of, of loan deals within Europe and for some big players that clubs are not thinking about really spending as big as they were previously. Mike, do you think anyone's going to spend over 60, 70 million on any player this summer?
1: I, when you told me this before, I think you, you sent me a, a voice message, a voice note about this about half an hour before we started recording. And I listened to the voice note back about six times because I went, did he say 50 million or 150 million? And I just assumed it was 150 million. I was like, no, he said fifty million. So the fact that these clubs aren't willing to jump in on what in the uh, context of the market for the last four years now is a rel- is is a relatively low release clause for one of the informed strikers in Europe, who is still what, 23, 24 years old? He's still only yeah. uh, young, um, is incredible and suggests that we are not going to see much in the way of spending this summer. I'm not that surprised. I'm expected to see a fair few just strike player swaps, kind of like we got with Sanchez and Mkhitaryan a few years ago, and trying kind of what Real and Bas have been trying to do for a few years now. So I'm expected to see some trade-offs, which might not be a bad thing in the world, the worst thing in the world. it would be, um, be a way then for, for players that need to move on, to get first-team football, for them to get first-team football elsewhere. But Uh, also,
0: looking at the bigger picture, Mike, if you have teams like, say, we'll use Valencia as an example, with a a young, talented player like Ferran Torres, who is being linked to Manchester United now, you look at a player like that, who is obviously on considerably big wages at that club, he's a star player there, another offering him a new contract, but he last signed one in 2018, so I'm guessing he's on hefty wages. So, when it comes to it and, and the top earners, is that a way these clubs that are going to struggle financially could, could lift some financial strain on themselves by getting rid of players, the highest earners? And then you have the big clubs, the Manchester United, who can take that, 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 those wages and, and sign them up, take advantage of that situation. Do you know, you can, you, can, you can say there could be more loan deals, but I think the big clubs could take advantage of that too, the wages, the wage structure.
1: Possibly... I still think what you're more likely to see if you are going to go in for a big player, maybe an agreement put in place for a loan deal where the club taking the player and loan plays 100% of the wages with an agreement with a smaller loan fee and then an agreement to pay a yeah. big transfer fee some point down the line, which was what PSC did, Kylian Mbappe, to comply with FFP, whatever the hell the FFP guidelines are. We're all a bit mystified on that one. Um, I think what you would actually see is maybe rather than some of these clubs looking to offload their best players because they're on big wages, is maybe looking to offload. So someone like Ferran Torres, maybe not because of his age, but you maybe look at clubs who have players who are doing really well, but might look at them and think, maybe this is just the right time to move this guy on. For him to go on somewhere else. And This is where the thing with Harry Kane, I think, has come up. Because he's in a Spurs team that is basically in a transition, is going into a transitional phase now where the cycle of the old squad has ended and then they need to build a new team, however, they're going to do that. And someone like Kane is a very, very saleable asset, but also I think someone, if you look at the fact that he's missed what, what, about two months of every season for the last couple of few seasons now, he's had some serious injury issues. Um, not serious, but serious enough where if you're talking me, you think if we can get big money for this guy now get him off the wage bill and then bring him through another prospect, we'll do that and take the hit in the short term, I think that's that's what you're going to see, so there's going to be maybe moves that you don't expect to see this summer in some capacity but I still think you're more likely to see it as some kind of like temporary long deal with the agreement for a fee down the line or a swap a big player swap in which case you'll see what you get in American sports where, um, and this is maybe some of people have familiarised themselves with much more with the Last Dance documentary where you've seen quite in depth of how the trade and the transfer, the player uh, and the wage cap system in, in American sports work where if you want to get a big player in, you then have to move other players on, which may see... Uh, maybe some clubs being a little bit short-sighted and getting rid of some of their better, younger prospects, maybe. I always think about how Barcelona got rid of Thiago Alcantara several years ago, which has always seemed odd, odd to me. So you might you might see that as well. And I just wonder whether United with the Angel Gomez contract situation still is an ongoing thing, where if he's going to be awkward and not sign a new deal, United might... Be looking to offer him as a make weight in some kind of deal if they want to buy someone. I mean, Werner's certainly a priority position. I think more so than Sancho. I think if we're in a time where clubs need to cut back, and all clubs are going to be doing that, and United are actually, for all the financial issues the Glazers have brought, are in a much better position in terms of the turnover that the club has than almost any club. Like in terms of operating costs, they're in a much better position. But you still then, with the way the market is, United have to prioritise where they most urgently need to reinforce. And very obvious to Manchester United, centre-half, centre-midfield, centre-forward. Those are your three priority positions right now for United. Spine of the team, they've got to keep reinforcing the spine of the team, which means why maybe someone like Sancho drops off the radar, despite what many of these in-the-know Twitter accounts seem to say.
0: Yeah, I I think with Angel Gomez, I, I I really I really want him to stay. I want him to sign a new deal. And I think what you mentioned there was yeah, we have we said the both the first team and that's a particular area of the team with team. with Fernandez coming in in January, the the patent to the first team for Angel Gomez is even more difficult now to commit to commit as a midfielder. You know, he's he was already low in the pecking order but I do feel for someone like him with the talent he does have he clearly has and has had for years in the U team I think you have to make some bit of effort and give, give a kid like that maybe a bit more money that he's demanding get him in and send him on loan for a season and see what first team football can bring him because you see what many players grow on loan you just know that's what they need they need first team football you look at Scott McTominay he's not something you send out on loan you know, he, he he's come into the first team and has adapted really, really quickly. But Angel Gomez hasn't done that. It doesn't mean all players have to be able to adapt straight away like a fish does to water. Um, I think there's, there's ability in him. And I, this talk of him going to Chelsea. That's probably the worst club um, for Angel Gomez to go to right now. Because if he doesn't think he's going to get his chance under Solskjaer, who, let's not forget, has had transfer windows since he's been United manager and has given youth chances... The only reason that the Chelsea team looks full of youth this season is because they have a, they have a transfer van hanging over their heads. has only been lifted now. And I don't really know if Rowan Bromwich wants to spend much money on that project anymore, to be honest. Not the same levels.
1: Yeah, but and you also have to consider, well, who is who would be ahead of him in the pecking order at Chelsea? Mason Mount, who is one of their own grown products. And, and Barkley. Um, oh, come on. Don't be silly. Um Ross Barkley come on I I, 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 I I thought to Ross Barkley this season no Kovacic certainly but not not Barkley I I don't get the vibe that Lampard is a big fan of Barkley at all I think he'd rather get rid of him I think he's I mentioned this last week when it was me you and Phil that um, and obviously they've got Hakim Ziyech coming in so it's more of Pulisic Kovacic um, Mason Mount and um, you've got I was going to say Callum to die, but I don't really want what's going on with him right now. He's got other things that he's got to sort out.
0: Indeed, indeed. And uh, with that note, we'll, we'll go leave on. that one there. <laughs> and on that note, we'll jump on to our feature topic, the, the FA Cup final in 1977. So United won the game 2-1 and all the three goals came in a five-minute period early in the second half. Mike before we we jumped on you described the first half as a bit of a non event um it it was certainly a contest and it, but but I wouldn't describe it as a bad first half but in comparison to the second half that's where all the the action happened
1: yes it was very very cagey i think um the one thing that struck me in this game is this is a low pool team the concept is they were going for the the treble this year yeah. Not the, the, the what we refer to as the Mickey Mouse treble that they won uh, t- some years later, but the treble. You know, they w- had already won the league. Um United finished six that season because they had just they were very inconsistent. They were a good side this United team, but but very inconsistent this year, despite the fact I think the season before they'd finished like third, uh, sorry, <laughs> six, and then third the season before and then the week after this, they were playing Borussia Mönchengladbach in the European Cup final. A really good Borussia Mönchengladbach side, by the way. Um, so, this was, you know, United were up against it. You've got some interesting details of the um, the match previews that,
0: yeah, that provide indeed. some
1: good context. to so just what a big task that United had in front of them.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, Frank McGee, who's a legendary Fleet Street journalist and Daily, Ma- Daily Mirror, a preview and he said that in in football you don't have to put your your job or your house for stake to bet on a game but he said if he if he could he would bet on this liverpool team beating manchester united in the fa cup final i hope no one took him up on that but but interestingly in, in his um match report which came after the game his intro was liverpool the team who have built their reputation around a belief that one per, one mistake per month is too many, committed a whole cluster of glassly errors in just five minutes at Wembley. So, so in his preview, he uh, he goes on about United being inconsistent and that this Liverpool team would only ever make one one error per month. Um, he was so confident in, in, in the preview, but he was he was bold as well. He he described United as being a lively, lovely team but just full of mistakes, as they shown in their FA Cup final the previous year against Southampton. But um, it's nice to get context like this, Mike, on such a game because this guy, was Frank, was, was very, very confident that Liverpool was strolling United in this final. Yeah,
1: and not an unreasonable uh, opinion to come to before the game. I think most people would have been in that opinion. Um, You know, when you consider... Uh, look, there was such a gap... At that moment, I think Liverpool in the league, I looked at it, had only conceded 33 goals that season. By the way, this was in a 22 team league in a 42 game season, not the 20 team, 38 game season we have now. So it was a more grueling season. You had very little in the way of squad rotation that you have now. So players are playing much more, most players will be playing more games. Um, and it was it was it was tough. It was really really tough. And, and this was also an era, by the way, where in a cup competition, when you had replays, especially in the semi-finals and stuff, you didn't have uh, a replay and then an extra time and penalties. You would keep having more and more replays until somebody won. And um, the League Cup final that year, uh, which Aston Villa won, I think went to about three replays before they finally there was finally a winner I mean this is that's completely insane um so yeah it was tough on the tough on the legs uh that that season and it was you look at the Liverpool team I mean you've got Ray Kennedy Steve highway um you've got uh, Phil Neal who until um, so Ryan Giggs came along I think had won more uh league titles than any any player um Kevin Keegan, who was the best player in the country at that time, mm. I would have said. Um, you know, you had uh, Emlyn Hughes, the captain, Ray Clemens, who was at this point was the, had become the first choice England goalkeeper. This was this was a really good team, and you had David Fairclough on the bench. He didn't even feature in this game. He was known and renowned as a super sub. His statistics for scoring goals coming off the bench was absolutely uh, astonishing. But you know, he had a good team at this point. I mean, Alex Stepney was there. This was a big game for him because he hadn't won the FA Cup with Manchester United. It was I think he'd won everything else at the club and he just hadn't won this one. And this was meant a lot to him to win it. Um I would like to have heard more from him in the post match after a game, but he managed to get all of our three <laughs> words in before the transmission cut off. Um you had uh, the Greenock brothers, uh, Brian at centre half, Jimmy up front, uh Martin Buchan. Who was one of, if not possibly the best centre half in the country? Could have walked into any team at this point. He was the United captain, would go and become the first, uh, I think, the first ever player to captain uh, Scottish and English FA Cup winning teams because he captained Aberdeen when he was 21 to beating Celtic in the FA Cup final that year. And this was a, a Celtic team which, by the way, had um, had Lou McCarrie in it and Kenny Argleesh. And had many of the leftovers from the nineteen sixty-seven European Cup winning team and was managed by Jock So so this wasn't like winning a Scottish Cup final now. Winning the Mike, Scottish Mike, Cup final back then was a big you, deal.
0: You can't mention Buckingham without getting the icons of Old Trafford plug in.
1: No, absolutely not. And um so that's that's the latest icons of Old Trafford piece. There's
0: a tangential link to the
1: previous week in that uh it was his he he dug up a lot of stuff and helped um, Michael Anderson, who did the the Patrick O'Connell film Don Patricio, and he also helped, uh, you know, uh, help the uh, memorial fund as well to dig out more stuff about Patrick O'Connell. He was a big help. He was the uh, president of the PFA for for years and years because um, he didn't really. He had a very very brief stint as a manager after he retired. But um, Martin and you always got the impression he really liked football. It was something he was very very good at. But well, to him, it was more of just a job, I think, rather than sort of the be-all and end-all. I mean, if you read my piece, he had interests <laughs> far beyond reaching that most footballers had outside of the game at that time. Um, and it, but he was seen as soft. And he wasn't because he was soft. I mean, clearly he wasn't. But no. it was because he just kind of eschewed this post-game culture of going out and just drinking as uh, much as possible till he passed out in the doorway of a pub. And he, you know, he preferred to spend his time learning foreign languages, reading books, all of this. Um, and, you know, it kind of falls into that. You know, Pat Nevin used to get the same stick as well because he was a guy who had an interest in fine art. Um, Graham Lassau was another one who had an interest in uh, old literature. These guys, you know, I mean... This, you don't, you can't... I mean, people think football is retrograde now, Back in the 1970s, if you so much as read a broadsheet newspaper, uh, you were considered a puff. I'll be quite blunt on that. that, that that's where we were. And uh, if you're on retrograde you were, take a look at one of the guys who was playing at centre-half for Liverpool, Tommy, Tommy Smith. Uh, I'll tell you everything if you ever look into him.
0: <laughs> Racist. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, to, gi- to give you even more perspective on, on, on the late 70s, Mike, and from a Manchester United point of view, we were, we were a cup team. You know, this season in which you won the FA Cup, we finished sixth in the league. So, you know, that was the kind of the bread and butter of those years. The, the dream was obviously to, to lift the league. They, they, and Many times, you know, they came close until they successfully did that under Sir Alex Ferguson. But for a long time, we were just a cup team.
1: Absolutely. They're phenomenally inconsistent in the league. But pretty much a similar kind of situation that where we are now. We're, we're kind of a little bit like that now. Um. Uh, although I would say probably a little bit more underachieving back then. I think there was better players than maybe where we finished in the league. If you look at the the likes of Stepney and Buchan, uh, and Steve Copple on the wing, who was brilliant in the second half in this game. Uh, Sammy McIlroy and Lou Makari, that's a really good central midfield pairing to have. Um, Graeme Hill was a good player uh, on the wing. Uh, Pearson was a good set of forwards United had look, good players and really yeah, right. we, finished, we finished third the first season we came back up from the old second division
0: In this fight United one sub, David McKeary. Okay, so yeah. one sub and you're mentioning the amount of games they had to play, the squads weren't as big mm-hmm. and you know I know Liverpool dominate the 70s so it it, it it would have been very very hard for a team a squad so small nowadays you get to rotate players and players don't be burnt out as much in in um in the match preview uh, that I mentioned Frank McGee he mentions that Liverpool were starting to show signs for in the end of that season of 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 fatigueness and stuff and you have to remember too they were going on to a European Cup final against Borussia Mönchengladbach and Gladbach in which they won three one so you know they had a lot of football like United had um you had to put it in perspective there's only one sub on the bench don't really get a chance to, to give players a breather, and this game could have went to a replay do you know what I mean it could have been more games
1: oh god I mean I think had this gone to a replay the Liverpool would not have won that European Cup final no. there's absolutely oh. no way and that was I think that that team had um, several good players that it put to stand out was a guy called Alan Simmonson, who won the Ballon d'Or uh, would usually be classed as Denmark's greatest ever player it not for the fact that they had Michael Lausrock show up just a few years later. But, um, yeah, it was, you know, it's a testament to what an achievement that that was, that they even won the league and the European Cup together in in the same season. It's a really hard thing to do. When you look at the league, they won that by a point. You know, Manchester City, a really good Manchester City team, who I think was under Malcolm Allison at this point. It was a really, really good coach, really good manager. Um, maybe slightly overrated. I'm not sure he was as good as Mercer, but he was still really good and tactically very innovative. Uh, you know, th- they had a big challenge that season, and um, I think Ipswich Town, who were third as well that year, um, that was Bobby Robson's Ipswich Town, by the way. So they, they were a good side. and you have Villa and the Ron Saunders, who are a few years later, um would be going on to win a league title in a European Cup. They, these these were these were good teams. People forget this. Um, and uh, I think you were pointing out to me before we recorded, Tommy Dockett hadn't beaten Liverpool in like yeah. previous attempts as he showed up at the club and um sort of a controversial figure at United, maybe slightly unfair. You know, he, he had some fractious relationships with some of the players. Him and Lou Macari it's well known they didn't get on. Although he didn't stop both of them working brilliantly together on a professional level.
0: But just maybe... just to mention that, Milou Makari, that was one of the observations that I had from watching this game back. How hard did he, I know in the, in the first half, he didn't get into the box enough, but he worked up and down the flank like a madman, defending at all will.
1: He was a brilliant player. I mean, I, I would have said when you watch that game,
0: I hadn't seen too
1: much of of McIlroy and Mcari's players. Maybe a little bit more of McElroy. but McElroy you see was sort of more of the classy operator of the two.
0: Yeah.
1: Whereas Mcari was the box to box, just shuttling back and forth. He scored a lot of goals, McCari as well. He had a good goal scoring record for United, but you know it was amazing. He was a small guy, but man, he was he was a big character.
0: He, he was hardy though know, as well.
1: Oh, he was tough. He was tough, and um, you know probably the biggest mouth of anyone in that dressing room as well I would have said Uh, but a lot of time for Louie McCurry, I really liked him he's a proper United legend and one of those players again you look at the the I think him and Martin Buchan but also I think um, just the, the greater more even distribution of top quality players at that point in the English game as well as opposed to what you have now
0: Definitely, and one of the, the Liverpool players who that will pop up in our in our conversation, we go through the goals. Jimmy Case, um, who scored Liverpool's equaliser, he he went on to say after that it was um, the game he'll never he'll never forget. Um, he never won an FA Cup with, with Liverpool, so you know for for him being be, being a Scouser as well and go, growing up as a Liverpool fan, it was a big blow to him seeing United. And he said he was so confident going into the game, he was nervous, but this was a Liverpool team too. Um, that was going on to a European Cup final as well. They were going on to to more honours, and he he just described it in an article year, he wrote that he wrote um, years after the final that it was just a bad bad moment in his career. Which I kind of basked in with a smile on my face.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I will give credit to the Case. It was a brilliant goal he scored in this game. Yes, I great mean, touch. He controls the ball, lovely first touch, and he literally. He flicks it up to set himself up on a turn and then just followed it into the net. I mean, Steppi was furious. You saw him just banging the the turf, but there was nothing he could have done. Maybe the defenders could have got a bit tight to him, but I don't know. I feel like you just have to turn, hold your hands up sometimes in a player scores a goal like that, and go... You know, it's like... I always think you remember the Dennis Bergkamp goal in the 98 yeah. World cup. It's like moaning at Ayala, I think it was, he was on him. It's like what would you expect Ayala to do? There was no way in a million years he probably would have expected Burkham to pull off what he did. And it was just one of those moments. And he's, um, if you actually case, people always remember certain players on that Liverpool side of that era. I almost feel like he's sort of forgotten and he shouldn't be. He's yeah. a good player. And he was, he he played really, really well in this game. Uh, I thought him and Liverpool's two wingers were were, their, were I thought, their best players in the game.
0: Run us through the five minutes of madness.
1: So, we we said that the first half was really kind of cagey. There was some... I just There's a bit of concepts. Makari was putting in some pretty meaty challenges in, in that first half. You know, and he didn't let his small size keep him from sticking in some reducers. United had a chance, uh, sort of like a half chance, for Gordon Hill to put a ball in. And I think it clipped the bar it was just like a sort of a miss it cross and you could see it, both teams were trying to work down the flanks and they had, you know, both teams are two really good wingers. United had Hill and Steve Koppel who had a phenomenal turn of pace. Actually. Um, I was chatting to my dad about this game because it was the only, my dad had gone to every home game that season. And there was like a token book that you would collect up when you went to the games. And um, that was kind of how the season tickets worked. Um, the, I'm just kind of going off on a tangent but United and Liverpool each I think got less than about 10,000 tickets or something like that each, their oh. members Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's 100,000 at this game so this is where your ticket touts really came into play, these full-time professional ticket touts
0: so only 20,000 tickets were given to fans
1: yeah, you had that Club Wembley thing back then as well, which, which is just nonsense uh, it was a really low number my dad was telling me because he had accrued enough credit for going to all the home games and going to many of the away games as well um, you know just imagine, you know, my dad's not a big guy now, some small scrappy guy then going to football when it was a really rough time to be going um, and it was just like, yeah, he couldn't get a ticket for this game, it was just it was just crazy um, but it, he compared Koppel to He he's a very comparable player and I do see that watching that second half but the second half comes out and you think you've had a very cagey first half Liverpool did look quite leggy I feel in this game especially in the first half and you could see it was maybe an element of Liverpool sort of trying to preserve, preserve the energy a little bit to sort of maybe just try and keep it tight keep it steady um, and then United came out in the second half and decided to really force the pace of the game and United came out in the second half and went okay let's see what you've got in your legs and they pressed them right from the get go they started really, really quickly. They were forcing the issue. You could see the other people starting to struggle. And the first goal, was, I think it was a loose ball that McElroy just kind of... a ball just... I think he's just launched over. And McIlroy gets it really well to head it on. Uh, and McElroy has a fabulous head of hair in this game, by the way. Much more than he had <laughs> later on in his life. Um, and he nods it. I think it's... it's a, is it Greenoff? Who sort of... Yep. kind of Kind of then sort of himself nods it through to Pearson it's just i'm not sure what clemens i think clemens is a brilliant goalkeeper um there's a lot of people who actually say he's better than Peter shilton to, you know he was really really good and um he got beaten at the near post though uh, i mean credit to pearson you know he gets in there he does not he chases that down he thinks i'm going to chase around and get in so that's 51 minutes 53 minutes Almost literally, team still celebrating. Liverpool go up the other end. Ball comes into case as he described. He controls the ball. He's back to the goal. He flicks it up to set himself up to turn and volley the ball. stanley has got no chance.
0: Just the atmosphere when Liverpool got the equaliser because the United fans were still bouncing from the opening goal. They were still they were still going crazy. The game itself was just mental.
1: Yeah. I, it, you feel like it, it needed it needed almost a, another quick goal after the first goal to really sort of fire it up into life. Um, I think if Liverpool had scored first, I think it would have been a very, very different game. and It really yeah, would have sort it, of produced but... it down. But United scoring first forced Liverpool to have to go and attack this game and expend some energy. And suddenly, listen, United's away support and travelling support, the hardcore support, has always been known for being pretty rambunctious. Um, and in the context of the late 70s even more so. And yeah, the atmosphere was just insane after the equalizer.
0: But but, but they to concede that goal so quick. Uh, Jimmy Kay said that when 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 that when they got the equalizer, he thought that right, we're gonna win this game. But surely United must have been a bit of a kick in the stones. You know, they just got the an opener against league champions in the FA Cup final. Um, and then to concede straight on, a lot of teams, confidence-wise, mentality-wise, they'd be blown away. You know, that was not the case.
1: No, uh, no, and it, it, you know, I'm sure Dockett he was furious. Uh, Booking was probably internally furious, but outwardly he was smoking a cigar or something. I don't know what he was doing <laughs> at this point. Um, keeping making sure Keegan was still in his back pocket. Um, he didn't
0: give him an inch. Did not give no, Keegan an inch. Remember
1: him touching the ball in this game, and he just couldn't. He just, he just couldn't get into the game. And I think that influence, uh, We'll get into this in a bit, where Kennedy was almost playing as, a, as an auxiliary forward, and Highway was pushing down the flank and whipping in balls to Kennedy to try and get to the end. But Liverpool score. That's fifty-three minutes. They're back in the game. Maybe they're thinking, okay, here we go. Let's 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 crack on here now. <laughs> Atmosphere is insane. And then, I feel like it's almost out of nothing, this this goal. I mean, you think Tommy Smith, who was, um, apart from being a thundering racist, mm-hmm. he was a hard man. In an era of hard men, he was regarded as a really, yeah. really hard, hard man. Um, you know, sort of, I always think it's that, um, that, D- that Dave McKay thing, the Spurs and Derby County player. In an era of hard men in the 60s and 70s, Dave McKay was considered... Harder than everybody else, and Smith had a bit of that about him. And um, but he got muscled off the ball, like Greenoff just shoved him off the ball. Now, I think this was Smith's last season. I don't think he, I think he retired. He, he, came, he, came, he came
0: in because, um, well, he got a lot of games that season because Phil Thompson picked up an injury. Yeah, Thompson, Thompson was first choice, wasn't he? At this he point, got, um, he picked up enough games in the league to get a league medal at the end of the campaign, but he was out for a while, he missed the FA Cup and the European Cup final.
1: Yeah, I think it's the next year or so where then, or the, the next season where Liverpool transition from this, what is essentially still, a lot of it is still Shankly's team, even though Paisley yeah. is the manager and Joe Feggett is the assistant, and yeah. then that kind of phase over into Dalglish and Souness and Hansen coming that, in. That's
0: it. Although you're suggesting there, the team is almost in a bit of a transition, um, the average age at the Liverpool starting lineup was twenty six a year older than the average age of the United starting eleven, which is twenty five mm-hmm. um and 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 that's with a very experienced Alex Stephanie in goal as well
1: yeah, but I will add the caveat to that that um you know footballers tended certainly in the the modern era, which you would say is probably from the early nineteen sixties has tended to operate in three year cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at, say, the United team in the 60s, 65 to 68, that was that was their era, and they almost just fell off a cliff after 68. What probably should have happened then is, after that European Cup final, United maybe should have had a season or two of really just dismantling a lot of that team and then rebuilding it again.
0: Do you not, uh, think, do you not think that brings you to the game today? And that's very much the case of what happened with, I know we're not on a tangent, but Mauricio Pochettino and Tottenham.
1: Yes, I mean, well, but I felt sorry for Pochettino because it was very obvious from his own disquiet he wanted to rebuild the team and he wasn't allowed to do it. Yeah, um, And I think one thing that Dockett had in his favour coming into United is that, and this is where Dockett deserves a lot of credit, even though maybe, say, United under siege, United were in the doldrums when he came in. I mean, they were really just in the pits. They got relegated. He, he saved them from getting relegated in his first season, when he took over from Frank O'Farrell, um, and then we got relegated in the second season, but he bought us straight back up. Um, a lot of United fans at that time say that was one of the most fun That's seasons the that they remembered having yeah. with United it was that yeah. second division season. And then the season after, we finished first, and we got some free free cup finals in four years. You know, he sort of made United remind ourselves, hey, you know, we're still a big club, you know, and he... He recruited a lot of good players to the club as well.
0: Do you think the reason in which Saw gets get sacked to Manchester United, um, for having the affair with the Kipman's wife, who he's now married to, if that happened today, 2020, he'd get the sack?
1: Uh, I don't think he would, but I wonder with Doherty because he's quite a uh, you said to me. Uh, You messaged me about the game, he was just such a gaffer, you
0: know. Yeah,
1: yeah. He just had that about him. But he was a big character, and he did run people up the wrong way. And um, was it still Louis Edwards, who was the chairman of the club, Martin Edwards' dad at this point?
0: I think so, yeah.
1: (sighs) They didn't get on. Um, Although, to be honest, I know people that worked for Louis Edwards for his other company, which was... uh, not ICI, it was like the four to so ICI. That was his company. It was a big sort of chemical company based in Manchester and they didn't think much of Louis O'Martin, frankly, at that point in time. And I think he just didn't get on. There were still people around at United who were sort of hangovers from Busby as well. And obviously, his great an era that was, you have to kind of... Unless some of those people are willing to sort of get on board with a new regime. So you look at, say, someone like Michael Carrick, for instance, who is essentially one of the two assistants to Solskjaer and Solskjaer is a half from Ferguson. Solskjaer is trying to build uh, just a new team. Now, he's just like, let's move on. He's almost sort of semi-acting as a director of football while Carrick and McKenna kind of act as sort of the head coaches of the team and, uh, you know, trying to play what is, I think, a different style of play to what Ferguson did. It's more of a high press. Style. He looks like he's kind of basing his style more on kind of a little bit of what you're getting in Germany. That seems to be what Solskjaer is trying to press, push towards.
0: But can, but, but can, can I say too, on that, because people, when Solskjaer was, was appointed, one of the grievances I kind of had with the whole, what the club were trying to push out in the media was were get, recruiting people of the past, people like Mike Field and stuff. And they were kind of making that as their as their model and I feared about that because football is something that it evolves. It mm-hmm. evolves time and time again. And what happened when Ferguson came in um, in the 80s, and the 90s, in the early 2000s, It it's kind of irrelevant to what happens in the game. It doesn't work the same way anymore. And that, that's, yeah. what you, that's what you—that's Manchester United should be doing is maybe getting a mixture of that, a mixture of past of what worked and then forward thinkers. Um, and if so... Like, People be saying, "Oh, soldiers we should be playing the way Fergie set up." Not necessarily. I, I, I take a lot more, cre- give him a lot more credit if he took aspects of, of, of the football he played under under soldier, evolved it, and maybe go with something more forward-thinking that is is relevant today.
1: Yeah, and also I would argue Ferguson didn't have a set style. He, he was, no, he was far he didn't, too. No. He, he would do whatever. He was very similar but, to someone like Allegri. We mentioned that, he would be. He would do whatever he needed to do. He would set up strategies for specific games. Um, And that kind of weirdly brings us back to what the difference between United and Liverpool was in this area. Liverpool, even when they were at the top, were able to identify, and this was what Liverpool stopped doing at the end, were able to identify cracks in the team, even when it's successful so Shankley's first great team they lost the Cup Winners Cup final in the mid 60s and then he just started he just dismantled the team like spent the back end of the 60s dismantling the team and then he built a new team a big uh, uh, a lot of that team was in this team in this game um, and built it again and then Paisley did the same thing this you would have think hey look at this Liverpool team um Toschap was still at the club he didn't play in this final because he was having a lot of injuries at this point. But uh, you look at the Liverpool team that played in the European Cup final a couple of years later in Rome, a lot of this team wasn't there. Like A lot of it had gone. So you know, that was the problem that you know, United didn't do that and subsequently went into a huge decline. And a lot of clubs don't do this, actually. They don't. They're not ruthless... I think maybe there's a little sense of player loyalty or worrying that they might upset the fans and stuff like that. But I look at the success of Liverpool in that period, much as the success of United under Ferguson, is knowing, okay, you know, this is the end of this team. Everyone else might not see it, but I see it because I'm seeing these guys every day in training. And I wonder whether this cup final, even though they went on to win the European cup final, Uh, the week later, whether this was maybe the first sort of crack appearing in that Liverpool team that seemed to be better than everyone at this point. Because when United then got that goal where Greenoff just muscles out Smith, and a lot of people would have gone, well, he's muscled out Smith, and then is it Makari just sort of pounces on the loose ball and just taps it in? United, Liverpool trying to press it, but I thought United were the better team from that point. I really did think they were better. They were better, and you see Keegan not getting a sniff because Buckens gets him out. United's two centre halves were brilliant in this game.
0: But right you know, I, I'd also argue United could have won by a greater lead. You know, Stuart yeah. Pearson had another great chance in in the second half, yeah, in which he the defence um, opened up and he he put it straight towards the goalkeeper. But I actually I found something interesting on this game uh, and involved the celebrations afterwards that um, Brian Greenoff and Arthur Albertson were given the wrong medals afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why Albertson looks so pissed off. Yeah, so th- apparently they were given the the, the loser medals, so well, it, it doesn't clarify in the report in which I read, but does this suggest that two Liverpool players tried to run off with winner's medals? I don't
1: know what you're suggesting that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just asking, asking the, the question every once in a the answer is that.
1: <laughs> I, I appreciate, I appreciate um, David Johnson at Front for Liverpool did look like the stereotypical Scouser with this sort of bowl haircut and a big moustache, but I don't know what you're implying here. Uh, just a bit of a point quickly on style. Kevin Keegan's hair in this game is a thing of absolute beauty. It's one of the best perms I've ever seen in my entire like oh, yeah. there's nothing quite like it really in this I'm not seeing there's some great hair on showing this game by the way as well, just in general. Lou Macari has got a great head of but, hair, Marty Buckett's got brilliant sideburns, you know.
0: Can, can you imagine someone sat in the in the studio complaining about the perms in the same manner in which Graham Soon is compla- complain complains of footballers' hairstyles today?
1: I think there's, there's only one specific player's hairstyle uh, Graham Souness has a problem with. And I don't think it's anything to do with the colour of his hair. It might have to do with the colour of something else when it comes to Souness, but we'll leave it there. Um, the one thing that struck me in this game, you mentioned the pulse match Jack Charlton was on the cold commentary, So we had the ITV coverage in this game, which is Brian Moore and Jack Charlton. Um, this is, I think... Jack Charlton was still playing, I think, at this point. He was still at Leeds. And he was... Jack Charlton, evidently, we referenced uh, several weeks ago on a podcast about Best Law and Charlton. That even in an era of dirty bastards, Leeds were considered mm-hmm. dirty bastards, and Jack Charlton was a key component of that Don Revy Leeds side. He had absolutely no problem with blatant fouls in this game, even when the referee was giving them. And for a referee to give a foul in 1977, you really had to give someone a re a re kick, as we, uh, we as as they say. As they say in some parts of the country, and Jack Charlton, you know, some guy's just been hacked down; his foot's hanging off, and Jack Charlton's like, "Oh, I don't see the problem." And to get up, <laughs> I mean, what is are you insane? What's wrong with you? He, he killed the guy. <laughs> um, and uh, another thing I picked up when Gordon Hill got subbed in this game, he looked not very happy about the fact that he got subbed in this
0: <laughs> game. But but that, that that's one thing too that I really enjoyed about it. People when we mentioned on, on Twitter that we were doing this review, the, the hashtag scale was pop, popping up and that's one of the FA Cups and the people look back at with that kind of, um, that phrase. It was really physical. The tackles were even lo- yeah. in and it, do you know what? I, I really wish there was more aspect like that in, in the game today. I know people yeah. say that it's it's not, not, not good for player safety so I understand that but but, the, but can I mention, too, that some of the tackles they were going in, they weren't going in to, to hurt um, one another. They were just strong tackles.
1: No, no I, I would agree with that because, I mean, there was the odd exception here and there you get some players who were nasty, but most players weren't. And that was because, A, you didn't have the squad rotation and also players didn't get paid as much then. Prospects of players uh, after their careers are much more uncertain so it was almost like a gentleman's agreement of listen, you don't in- go in to try and hurt someone, because if you do and you end their career and they end up in serious financial difficulty because you've ended their career, and that was not an unreason that was not an uncommon occurrence to happen by the way, back in this time. Um, I know we were way past the era of the maximum wage and all this, and players were getting more money, but I mean it's nothing like what they're getting now. Um, it was almost a gentleman's agreement because it's like, if you did that, then someone might do that to you almost as like a receipt um, because you've kind of broken almost a covenant that was in place between players that you put in strong challenges, but you don't, you know, you don't go into to try and really hurt people because that is, that is just really out of line. You know, it's not someone like um, Donnie Goquetta, the, uh, the, the old athletic club Bilbao player. He was described as the butcher of Bilbao um, who basically broke Maradona's ankle deliberately? It's not, it's, you didn't get anything like that in this game, I don't think. Or
0: no, I almost feel I, like I there was more. That.
1: There was worse stuff. I almost see that you have got some worse kind of stuff in the, the in the nineties. I feel. I think the Gastity. worst stuff being, yeah. yeah, really, really. People like people like Vinny Jones, Neil Ruddock, Dennis Wise. These guys, these guys weren't footballers. So they had no business yeah. being in the game. They couldn't play. You think about the Wimbledon team in the late eighties, early nineties. Do me a favour, could barely pass four could barely yeah, stick four yeah, passes exactly. between them. They, you know, these are guys that could play on both sides, but just strong challenges went in. And this was yeah. a point where he talked about the ninety nine FA Cup semi final. Yes, there was a lot of strong strong challenges going in. Yes, there was an element that these teams didn't like each other because they were rivals, but it was more of teams where strong challenges were going in because they were competing. This was guys wanting Helt to win. Over it. And and there was yeah, absolutely. And these were all guys that could play great football, great yeah. football players in this team. You know, yes, there was hard men, but man, there was there was really, really good players. And Bob says, we talk about what a tough guy Lou McCurry was. But he was a fucking great footballer, a really, really great player, like really, really a top player. You know, um, but uh, we both had the same man of the match in this game, right? Martin Buchan. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. of the match. Um,
0: I, t- I, I think Brian Greenhalgh was very close.
1: Yeah, he was. Um,
0: very close, but Buckham for me, I would have given him the match there.
1: Really good centre half partnership, those two, actually, Green off and, and Bucking at the back. Uh, Buckham was. Did he even get his shorts dirty in this game? Don't think he did, did he? Never had to, Martin Bucking. And um, the great thing is in the post match interview, this so he's just won the FA Cup, right? It's his first trophy he's won, a major trophy winning since coming to United. If you don't count the, the old second division title, He's become the first-ever player to captain teams to win in the Scottish and English FA Cups. And back then, winning the Scottish FA Cup was a big, big deal, as I've said before.
0: If, if I remember correctly, he was your centre-back in the all-time match at eleven.
1: Yeah, he was, for good yeah. reason. Made over played over, played over 450 games United. I think um, when,
0: when you mentioned that, Mike, that amount of appearances, OK, he, he he's a very 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 underappreciated um figure in Manchester United history. I think, I think.
1: Yeah, it's really if you want to get an idea for how good he was, watch this game. This yeah. is a really fine example. Find a couple of other games from that era that you can find of him, and then speak to United fans who who were going to to games back then. Because all right, it was a long time ago, but it's not so long that all mo- all of these fans. There's probably a lot of United season ticket holders today. Who were going to games back then? Who will tell you how good Martin Buchan was? Um, I first came across who he was many years ago, and I had this book of like greatest ever United players, and he was in there. And uh, it, you know, that's that's how you know. And this was an era; it was a lean era for the club, didn't win that much. And also, interesting point: I read an interview. Uh, I, in fact, I watched the interview with. Um, it was quite recently actually, in United's. Official website with Harry Maguire and Brian Robson. Um, Brian Robson mentioned that Martin Buckham was a massive influence on him. He first came to the club. Uh, Buchan was coming towards the end of his time at United at this point, and towards the end of his career, really. He was signed and... by
0: Frank Farrell, Buchan, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah.
1: He was about the only. Uh, Frank Farrell. It's kind of harsh to criticise it because by all accounts he was a good guy. And Buchan, when he came to United, he was wanted by Leeds and Liverpool at that point. Leeds and Liverpool had gone in for him. They were the ones to put the money down to get him. But Buchan chose United because even though Frank O'Farrell didn't do a great job, he was a good manager, but maybe this was a job that was too big for him. And he was also a good guy. And basically, Buchan made his choice. And this is his own quote, so you can find it. There's an interview with a Scotsman that he's linked in the piece, in my piece that's gone out today, um, where he said he was impressed by O'Farrell's personal character. That was a that was why he picked the club, you know, Um which is quite, I, I, you can't imagine many footballers, making, saying that openly, saying that choice of why that they signed there, for a club.
0: There is one, I believe it was Tommy Dock, um, that Charlie Nicholas, decided not to sign for him because of the when he met him, pr- prior to a potential move to Manchester United. He tells a story, that he met Tommy Dock in a in a restaurant, and he was wearing a suit and these flowery. Bizarrely coloured socks he was wearing were on the show, and Charlie Nicholas said he couldn't sign for a manager to wore socks like that.
1: It's not like the Roy Key story where right? he didn't sign Robbie Savage because of the voicemail message that he left Sounds on his phone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, not as good as the Roy Key Batty Taylor story, but we'll save that one for another podcast, I think. Um, yeah, really, really interesting thing, and um, if you were to make a comparison. Uh, for this performance in this game and the Gemini kind of play that Buckham was, I mean, Rio Ferdinand is is the first one that comes to mind and the other one will be Paul McGrath. And then sort of for... Uh, um, yeah, for the younger fans who maybe don't appreciate that there was some football that happened before about 1998, uh, Rio Ferdinand will be the instant comparison. They were very, very similar, actually, when you watch these guys. Um, both had exemplary disciplinary records. Rio Ferdinand's disciplinary record was outstanding. Martin Buchan got five buckets in his whole career. Um, and in fact, one of the times he got a bucket Because he came from... Uh, so, like... Aberdeen. Dennis, yeah, he came from Aberdeen, like Dennis Law, but Martin Buchan was from a much more middle-class family, I think, or lower-middle-class family. Law was from a really poor family. Uh, Buchan went to a grammar school. Uh, he chose to go to a grammar school and still refused to play rugby. That's the kind of guy that Martin Buchan was. So, anyone who thinks Martin Buchan wasn't hard... He went to a, a, a school in Aberdeen where you only played rugby and still told them to fuck off and that he was going to go and play football anyway. Um, <laughs> Just as he, well he, a, he, he spoke Latin and Spanish fluently, by the way, Martin Buckin. Really, really smart guy. He was a Latin scholar. Um, and probably, you know, like I said, he really liked football, loved playing football, but it was a game to him and a job. It was not the be-all and end-all. And I think that was, you know, I think he maybe he was one of those guys, and you do get these players who go, yeah, listen, I love playing football, but it's not everything to me. You know, I much rather stay at the same club where I like the job, I like everything I'm doing, I'm being looked after, and, you know, um,
0: I I feel like I've shown a bit of loyalty. I'd be persuaded to think those characters are the more interesting ones as well. Um, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, as as well as that, we're mentioning some 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 former players here as well. Some some big icons. We we are interviewing a former United player next week on the podcast. So so th- there you go. That's the kind of work we're doing at the moment to provide this show interviews with um key personnel and media and former players. We did Alex Stephanie already. So if you could just please support StrettyCast and Stray News on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Stray News. And that's where we kind of re- reveal kind of bonus content um, from those interviews and from this podcast. Podcast is stay free. That's not going to change. Um, but just before we do wrap it up, Mike, what um any highlights from from that final that that you, you didn't give a mention to, any different think- celebrations or or so.
1: Yeah, so one of the things in the post-match, I made a note of this, where I don't know whether this cup was sponsored by a milk company, <laughs> but everyone was drinking milk. Did you notice this after yeah, the game? Yeah, that's so Ger- like milk. Yeah, so we had the ITV coverage, so it was Gerald Sinstart, who was like a legendary football correspondent, a football broadcaster, he was going in. I can't, Can you imagine post-match interviews being done the way that he was doing them now? Because that was quite similar to me. If you ever watch, say, like Big American Sports... Yeah. Team sports. They'll go and do the interviews in the dressing room. It basically just Do you tears, remember Nanny,
0: Nanny or Ronaldo and Anderson? Uh
1: no, no. Yeah.
0: Well, Ronaldo interviewed Anderson for Sky Sports in the dressing room, either after winning the league or something.
1: Oh yeah. And he yeah. Used,
0: he's eating this pastry or something on, on, on the on, on the tree <laughs> A sign of things to come. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, it was really it was just bizarre. Um but I, I said Martin Buchan, even though he just won the FA Cup, had the air of a man, uh, had, he had the air of... Um, so one of the big things that's sort of gone around and social media really in recent years is the term Karen to describe those middle-aged women with terrible haircuts that come in and just make service staff's life a living hell. Um, and they're generally quite racist. He had the air of a Karen who walked into a coffee shop with a pram, asked for a latte and got given a flat white. He looked so unimpressed about winning the FA Cup. He's holding the FA Cup. In his hand, as he's being interviewed, and he looks like he couldn't care less. Dude. Like he just couldn't get. Yeah, he just didn't care. This was a guy who once, um, and I reference and I mentioned this interview in the piece. Uh, he was walking. He was walking to the players' lounge after game, and a reporter literally put his hand on his chest to physically stop him, which actually is quite a rude thing to do. Very and rude. he goes, "A quick word, Martin." And Martin just looked at this guy and went velocity and walked away. And then just before he left to go in up the stairs to the place, I turned around to the reporter and went, fuck off. And that was all he said <laughs> to this guy. That was his quick word. Um, I think one of the things that strikes me is just the general vibe of that this seems to be, of United teams in history, one of the ones that is the most liked by United fans. They really like this team. And I there think that's go. a Martin big...
0: fucking was the reason behind one of Johnny Marr's newest tracks, New Town Philosophy.
1: Oh really? Yeah, <laughs> we, there you go. That's interesting. I think someone should put that question to Johnny Marr Johnny Marr. He's got a Twitter account, hasn't he? That's what yeah, put to
0: he's, Johnny he's got, on Twitter. He's on social media a lot lately, putting up videos on Facebook and Instagram. But but yeah, uh, Also Mike, bears how, more than a passing resemblance
1: to Martin Buchan did in the
0: nineteen seventies as well. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Mike, how can people follow you on, on social media?
1: you can find me co-running the StrattyCast account with yourself Um, and you can also find me at Mycroft underscore Holmes Um, I uh, will be pinning the uh, piece on um, Martin Buchan to the top of that profile page today and I'll be tweeting it out on the StrattyCast. but I'll be pinning obviously this podcast episode to the top of that page today um so that's where you can find me. If you wanna find any interesting film stuff, you can go on my website as well, which is northernloudmouth.com. I am gonna be getting round to reviewing that Eric Cantonal film, but I'm gonna do it for Stretty News, I think. Um rather than for my own website. So I'm gonna get around because the film's on Netflix now, so I'm gonna go and uh, get round to watching it actually. I'm probably gonna do it tonight.
0: I need I, I sat down to watch it uh two days ago. Uh my partner is big, big into movies, but she, she's not a fan of subtitle, um, <laughs> shows, so we, we, we pressed the, the, the dub version, and I, I couldn't do it to myself, it's this ridiculous American accent over, Cantonese. Awful. Awful. awful, I just, I said, I'd sit down, night and I'd watch it on my own, with subtitles, I have no problem with that, but, but yeah, that, that review would be interesting, and you know, Canton I think people would think, you know, being a being farmer player, and um, they won't have much of an idea about his acting, um, acting potential. But you know, from what I've seen, I can't really comment. Hopefully, it's a hit for him.
1: Yeah, he is, and he is actually quite an interesting actor, mainly because he brings his own personal charisma to any kind of role that he does. He's quite a personal charismatic. He? He's, you know, uh, him and Martin Buchan, I think, in some ways, are comparable characters. They really like football. They love doing it. But for them it was a job and then when that came to an end, it was it was that was gonna be that was gonna be it. I'll go and find something else to do. These were guys that um, didn't just have it in their feet. I think they had a little bit more in going on in their heads. Oh, absolutely yeah. absolutely. And I don't wanna say all footballers are because that's not true. But um certainly there's always been a threat of footballers that have played in this country of maybe because they're not encouraged to seek out interests outside of the game. Yeah. Um, that I think um, they can be a little bit, not stupid, but ignorant, you know?
0: Absolutely. no. I, I turn I,
1: around like Jamie Vardy and say, oh, I don't like foreign food. I only like stuff like Chinese and pizza.
0: <laughs> on that note, that, 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 that's a high I want to finish it on. You can follow me on, on Twitter at @O'Donnell Dale. Of course, at Stratty News as well. Make sure you find us on on Facebook. And again, I'm going to give that Patreon a plug. It's patreon.com forward slash Stratty News. And we'll see you again on Monday. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again soon. Stay safe.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.